Everybody does this Again Everybody loves it <laughs> Again Dialing and turn on the mood is a tapestry American status be a third world tragedy Travesty for Trayvon Most of us just rave on Hallucinate, ruminate, illuminate the days gone by Hey there, I'm Andrea Swenson, and you are listening to another edition of The OK Show. It's a podcast brought to you by The Current that features real musicians talking about their real lives. On today's episode, we're going to talk to the music writer, radio host, and beat maker Ali El Abadi about his experiences in the Twin Cities music community. So hopefully today's episode doesn't get too meta, but as a music writer here in Minnesota, I am very eager to talk to someone else who does what I do, who tries to quantify, categorize, document, explain, analyze, and otherwise add our two cents to the dialogue surrounding Minnesota music. Ali has a long history here in the community, not only as a writer, but also as a radio host. Back in the day, he had a long-running show on Radio K. He's helped put together events dating back to the days of the Dinky Towner, which we're going to talk a lot about today. And he makes his own beats. He makes his own music. He is part of the scene in that way as well and has collaborated with a lot of different artists over the years. So I knew that Ali was going to have a unique perspective to share. And what I didn't realize was that this was definitely true in more than one way. So in the conversations that led up to today's OK Show episode, Ali and I started talking not just about his experiences in the music community, but also his experiences living in the Twin Cities as an Arab American and as a Muslim. Ali had actually seen a tweet from one of my colleagues downstairs in the NPR newsroom who was working on a series about Muslims in Minnesota. And that's how we started talking about not just his experiences working in music, but how his religion and his ethnicity have intersected with his life in music. So it's going to be a really great conversation today. I hope you enjoy getting to know Ali as much as I did. Hey, Ali. Hey. 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 <laughs> You're like the Fonz right now. Thanks for coming over. Thank you for having and me. And for your enthusiasm about pre- being on my podcast. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's yeah. such an honor to be in the same room. Oh, well, this is exciting for me because you know how they always say when you hear someone on the radio, you're not sure what they look like. Mm-hmm. Or yep. For me, it's I've been reading your writing for so long that <laughs> it's exciting for me to just hear you talking out loud. Oh, thank you. I mean, <laughs> like, like he's that, here. That's, a, that's, what, that's, what doing, that's what doing radio for seven years does to you. Is yeah. Like you kind of either become like the vocal like standout or else you become like the internet recluse. Mm-hmm. So you figure out. What, so I figured the latter path was kind of like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, why stop a good thing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm excited to learn more about you because um, I'm familiar a lot with your writing because I'm a fellow writer and with your work you've been doing lately with Green Room. But um, appreciate that. I think I would like to just kind of go back to your beginnings. Tell me a little bit about your background. Like where did you come up and and how'd you get into this crazy music world? Oh, man. Um, (laughs) So my parents came to the country, immigrated here from Egypt back in about the mid 70s or so. So, like, you know, my dad arrived to the country first, and then my mom came shortly thereafter. Um, Both of them had, like, prestigious jobs back in Egypt. Like, my dad was a mechanical engineering professor 
for the city that he lived in in Egypt. Um, so my dad did mechanical engineering, and my mom did payroll for the district of the city. So oh wow, that was always really interesting. And then they both came here to work blue collar jobs. Like my mom did retail for so many years, which she still does now. And uh, my dad's now retired. He was he was working at a box factory for most of my life. I know that sounds like incredibly boring and almost like a Simpsons episode, <laughs> like when they take the field trip to the box factory. <laughs> the Bart Bart's hat comes out of the box, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, he's gone!" <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I digress. Um, so. You know, I was born and raised in St. Paul for the first 13 years of my life. And okay. so then after that, um, my parents moved to Roseville and went to the U. And like immediately I was just interested in doing something in radio because mm. I, I kept on hearing stuff like KDWB or if any old Minnesotans remember WLOL 99.5 oh, yeah. or Rev 105 mm-hmm. or like you know, that type of stuff. So like I was raised heavily on that radio. Um, all I know was I wanted to be the antithesis of what WLOL and KDWB were. <laughs> Cause I was just like, I want to play more cooler music than these guys are playing because they're just playing the stuff I hear on BET and MTV all the time. Right. You know, you'd hear that. Uh, I forgot what song was it uh, and who it was by, but I think it was like that song about, I want to be rich. And then uh, they had like the special radio promotion version where they changed it to the call letters of whatever radio station was in your hometown. I kind of remember that. Yeah. Oh God, that was just that was just an abomination. But so you like, were attracted to more like alternative music? Or? I, I was attracted to a little bit of both. Um, Hip hop was definitely my first love because like when I was like eight years old, and I went to the Sam Goody Center in what's now the Wells Fargo Towers. Oh yeah. So like I went to the Sam Goody there and uh, the first tape, the first two tapes I ever bought with anything before even knowing anything about an allowance was I bought De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising and the Simpsons Sing Blues. Right every day I wake up. Look at my travels, they're scuffed up. Ring goes to tell you what I pick up. Turn on the news as it screws up. Mace on the line to see if I'm up. Wrong thing to do if I'm a hang up. Lay on the floor, sit and think up. So to hear like a refreshing perspective from like Pasanus, Trugoy, and Maceo was just totally a breath of fresh air. Mm. So like that's what got me like inspired to do hip hop. Not to mention that DJ Jazzy Jeff also produced nothing but trouble on Simpsons Sing the Blues. Oh wow. <laughs> I didn't know that. I let out that no, I let out I let that out on Toki Wright recently and he still didn't believe it. He was like, You can't be serious. <laughs> Did he just not want to believe it? He was just I don't think it was he didn't want to believe it, but he was just like, Jazzy Jeff really produced a song for the Simpsons? Really? Someone's got to do it. Hey, got to get that bread <laughs> somehow, you know. They were probably fresh off the Grammy that they had won for parents who just don't understand that yet. Right. right. So, you know, obviously, two and two together, like, you write a rap for The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it works. So when you say that when you heard De La Soul, it made you want to do hip-hop, did it make you want to play hip-hop music? Did it make you want to write about it? Did, how did you want to interact with it? it? You know, what was interesting about De La Soul was I think De La Soul 
I always like the artists that I could peel back layers from and take away a new thing each time. And so the first layer of it was that it made me fall in love with hip hop. The second layer is that it made me fall in love with all these other genres of music. So like, you know, before I listened to De La Soul, clear warning, before I listened to De La Soul, I was huge into the Bengals. <laughs> I was also into Paula Abdul. Oh yeah, me too. Forever Your Girl was the anthem. And I love that. Straight record. up, who could deny that? Before mm-hmm. J. Cole took it and obviously turned it into workout, but still, Forever Your Girl, Cold Hearted. Yeah. You know, who could forget opposites attract with MC Scat Cat? My coworker. Hey. <laughs> I remember I saw that mentioned in uh what was it, in the Brother Ali interview with Narwar yes. recently. And I keep showing that interview to everybody that I know. I love Narwar. They're, they're like they're like, How the heck? Like really? Like, yeah, he was a local guy. But there's trust. I'm like a minus, she's like a plus. One going up, one coming down. But we seem to land on common ground. Things go wrong, we make corrections to keep things moving in the right direction. Try to fight it, but I'm telling you, Jack, it's useless. I'm a citizen track. Like, what was hilarious was I'd catch MT- Club MTV or The Grind as it changed its name to later on. I'd catch that after school. Mm. Like, as soon as I'd be done with school, MTV's the... Gr- I'd be like, how do they have it popping at, like, 4 p.m. <laughs> in the afternoon just playing all this dope club stuff? Yeah. Like, you know, you catch them playing Naughty by Nature and then flexing it with CNC Music Factory. And <laughs> it's just, like, the wildest stuff ever. I was just like, how? I miss the days of people having that one gathering space to come around music. Oh, man. I... I, I'm the same. And especially like, you know, with the amount of like stuff like the Uptown Bar and the Dinky Towner, may they rest in peace, closing down and stuff yeah. like that. It just is is sad to see that there's not as many safe spaces as there once were for musicians specifically. Yeah. Because I remember like, you know, like, like when you were back on the beatbox, everybody had a gig at the Dinky Towner. Yeah. Like, I remember that's where I first saw Cancer. That's where I first saw like, you know... I'd catch like atmosphere sometimes there, but like I I still remember going to Bo- Bone App and seeing Headspin and seeing POS for the first time and stuff like that when he was with Ceno Species. Yeah, and like seeing like uh, and then meeting people like Sist and meeting Quell from like Typical Cats when they travel up from Chicago to come to mm. Bone App to actually do something. And then seeing like odd jobs, like when they were doing sleep and stuff like that. That's such an interesting time to really dive into the local hip hop. You know, right around like 2000, 2001 is Mm -hmm. like when everything kind of started is like, you know, that's when like Bone App was still around. And now it's when Dinky Towner was still around. You had the Loring Pasta Bar just opening up. So they were going to do the battles and stuff like that. And then you had Soundset over at First Ave where you'd catch it in two rooms. You'd see King IXL. K Salam and all these other DJs just cutting up inside the VIP room. And then in the other in the main room, it would just be atmosphere and friends, and they'd just be perform- like see atmosphere, abstract pack. You'd see Raw Villa. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, and just like seeing the local scene around that time, and just seeing how many people like kind of like networked around, and then like you'd see performances at like unheard of spots, like places like Jitters or Fireball Espresso, like. Stuff like that. It was so insane. And then just to see it slowly kind of dwindle down. Like, mm. like what was interesting was like um, 
seeing the inevitable inevitable breakup of Sino species, and then like, you know, I knew that you know POS was still doing stuff, and like he had put out Epicacnet and had a run there, and like it was like incredible. The first time I heard that LP, like I was just like, whoa, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then like shortly thereafter, like catching him back up, like in around I want to say it was a. Uh, I want to say it was 2005 when the first Doomtree blowout was about to take place at the Varsity. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Oh, my God. He Like, I, I think I still have uh, somewhere on my archives when Sims and McClon performed Slow Burn live on the B-Box. Wow. That was so fun. Cool. To catch live. Oh, my God. So crazy. <sighs> So what do you mean when you say it was starting to dwindle? Do you mean like groups were... It it was like, you know, you saw groups starting to decimate and kind of like figure out who wanted to be in it for the long term and kind of like carry on the longevity of it. Mm. We we still see doing it now to a large extent. Like, I mean, I still see like separate members of the Abstract Pack and you see Muja Messiah, Mm -hmm. like, you know, from the Raw Villa fam days and stuff like that, kind of like still going with it and still riding that wave and stuff like that and making like still new and captivating music. I mean, Luigi Messiah just put out that Villa Rosa project. Yeah. Like, and it sounds amazing. Yeah. And like before that he just did Ninth House which like a month is earlier. Fantastic. <laughs> oh my God. It, and it's just like it, it and then like you saw you saw the spaces then started to dwindle. Like I remember like there used to be heads that used to perform at Jitters that's no longer around. Fireball Espresso Cafe is no longer around. That's like been closed down for ages. Uh, Dinky Towner, like everybody got hurt when the Dinky, like yeah. everybody lost a piece of their soul when the Dinky Towner died. Yeah, that was a that was a hard loss to take for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, but like there were so many memories had there that it was just ridiculous. I mean, it was it was just kind of sad to see. Like when you saw the Dinky Towner fall, it was kind of like the big domino fell, yeah. so to speak. And then it was like, well, you know, well, where are the safe spaces now for artists to perform? And like, you know, especially rappers themselves, because they already had a hard enough time trying to get into stuff. And then like, you know, the additional, you know, kind of current situation of just like dealing with like what's going on in downtown Minneapolis and stuff like that, especially with big name rap shows coming into town like Yo Gotti and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You're having to deal with like retaliatory shootings or stuff like that. And it's just a just a tough situation to take all around yeah you know i'm curious to know more about the term safe spaces and what it means to you because i've been talking actually this is the third interview that i've done in like the last two weeks where we've (laughs) we've talked about creating safe spaces because i talked about it with sarah white and with greg grease as well and and i think it's so important and um you know greg talked about there's uh, a show called New Space that they put on it for Sav, which was about kind of yeah. reclaiming the main room. Yeah. Um, but where do you fit in with thinking about that? And, and have you been an active participant in trying to create like safe spaces for people to perform in? I don't know that I've been an active participant, but I, but I mean, I'm more than willing to learn if I can. Like, um, I think a great, a great new space and probably Sarah White has probably brought this up with you is a public functionary. Like right. that's an awesome safe space. Right. But um, I'd like to see more safe spaces probably. And I probably could do better in that aspect as well. Uh, especially among the North side. Cause like I, I was just actually on uh, soul tools radio about like three or four weeks ago with Toki. And there, there was a lot of talk about like how kids from the North side don't really have, safe spaces to go to it northeast may be considered too far for them mm-hmm. or like there are some bus routes that don't come to north to north side like that and 
it's just it's a tough situation to take and it's like trying to figure out okay well how do we how do we make this productive for all parties involved and like really make a safe space happen right for like those folks and like like it's gotten to a point where some people have to seek out safe spaces right it'd be nice to return back to like because i remember like when i was growing up in the scene and just starting to catch live music for the first time like i remember being packed with like 75 other people inside bon appetit <laughs> i remember like you know having to be shoulder to shoulder at the dinky towner if it was a real awesome like release party that was being hosted or like seeing the alcoholics perform in the dinky towner two friends of mine ran this uh, promotions company called 10k breaks they brought like a lot of people from out of town such as the alcoholics and they brought them to the dinky towner and like Pack the room out like you're literally standing shoulder to shoulder, but you're catching awesome rap shows. Deep in the mind, she just wanna hit her soul. Vision of success, she can't let it blow. She go day by day, waiting for a show, hoping that she jumps the obstacles and make the world know. Strong, beautiful, intelligent, she plays a part. Truly. Close to a work of art, she knows that. Crazy, she don't feel that. Riding in the notebook. Well, I'm really interested in how eclectic your tastes are. And you say you, you go outside your comfort zone, but I feel like even your comfort zone is very broad. You listen to a lot of different kinds oh, yeah. of music. Oh, yeah. What was it like coming up in, well, you started out in St. Paul, but then you were in Roseville, yes. in like, like a suburban yeah. high school environment. Yeah. What was that culture like? Was it mostly white students or? It was mostly white students for the yeah. most part. I think like when I went to Roseville, it had like a 2% minority rate. Wow. There was some African-American kids here and there, some some Latino kids here and there that would get, that came in from St. Paul or something like that, or else like lived like on the fringes, kind of like by Rice Street, mm-hmm. over by Cub Foods and stuff like that. I mean, like, what's interesting is the one high school relationship that I've maintained or one high school friendship that I've maintained for the most part is with uh, Adam Garcia. Oh. You know, so Adam Garcia, better known as Snakebird. You know, when I started to get involved in more of an artistic capacity as far as, like, doing radio and stuff like that, he was already doing his rap thing with Big Quarters, like, when they did EPL and Snakebird. And then, like, I saw, like, he was starting to, like, design 12s for, like, Rhyme Sayers. And, like, I'd see his work in the city pages. Yeah. When Lyrics Born was coming to town. And it was just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> like I knew he had a knack for art then. But, like, to see it fully manifest itself was just amazing. And, like, I just actually saw him recently, like, literally two weeks ago. And, nice. Like, so awesome to see him every time because, like, Everybody is surprised that we know each other and especially like people like outside of both of our circles because mm-hmm. like we were at public functionary and like I was talking to Kate who was one of the directors at public functionary and she and like Adam was like yeah we went to high school together she was like she was like what shut up you guys <laughs> did not go to high school together so we did we did rappers delight together on stage you did yeah we did. Um, we did it with a high school band. Was it like a talent show or? It was concert? actually. Uh, it was actually a multicultural show because we were part of like this uh, thing called the Multicultural Club at Ro- Roseville Area High School, and um, the teacher there, I believe her name was Miss Jenkins, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. She was like all about it, and like we kept on doing the multicultural show every year. This was kind of like my first year to to actually recommend something and get it and perform. That's what I was always known for, like especially coming up 
as a youth and especially being like of of an Arab American background. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that's really interesting is like those two sides of my world don't intersect. You know, I remember doing like spoken word for like an event with Mizna back during my university days. And it was just like a spoken word event. And I think I recited a poem from, uh, I think this was when common dropped his uh, third album. Uh, what was it? Uh, one day it will all make sense. Mm. There's like a spoken word piece on like track eight or something like that. And I had recited that in its entirety to that crowd because there were like people quote, doing like religious poems. There were people that were doing like wartime poems because pretty much most of the, the Arab Student Association that was there was from a war-torn region. Like, mm. There were some folks from Lebanon. There were some folks from Palestine. There were some folks from, uh, trying to remember where else. There were some folks from Syria, stuff like that. So it was just really interesting to deal with all those dynamics in like one room. And then like to just give a spoken word piece that's totally outside of what anybody else was giving. Yeah. And then I just kind of just like said it. People just came up to me afterwards like, wow, that was really powerful i'm surprised i'm like i'm like it's not mine though (laughs) (laughs) but like even when i do music now or like you know when i do stuff as far as like music critic stuff or like music production stuff or djing stuff like that really doesn't intersect with my identity like Mm. where like if i go to an arab american gathering such as a wedding or like an engagement for like friends of mine like they rarely know about my music side, if any. Hmm. Like they know that they just know me as the guy who likes music. That's it. They like they know nothing else. So every time they come up to me, they'll just like sit and want to have a rap discussion every five minutes. And like it does get t- it does get tiring, just a hair. Yeah, just a hair. But like at the same time, like it's cool to have those discussions, like just to talk about rap and stuff like that. I even catch flack at some of the Arab cafes that I go to here in the Twin Cities. Where people would be like, oh, man, I got to talk with you about the newest rap I heard. Like, I just heard this. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. My boy raps. Like, I'm, I know him. Like, he works with me in the cubicle next door. You know? And it's yeah. Like, it's, like, really interesting because, like, you know, especially in Arab American culture and, like, this goes for pretty much all, like, Arab American Muslim, you know, South Asian, like, whichever it may be, like, all those cases, like, you're either taught to be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer, and force comes to worst, you start your own business, whatever that may be, and it's got to be a profitable biz- mm. business. There is no, like, if you do something outside the arts, it's just considered a hobby to them. It's not considered something that's of economical value or that holds status, hmm. like, amongst the higher ranks, so to speak, of the social circle. Yeah. You know, so it's always interesting to deal with that type of dynamic. Hmm. Because I know, like, the first thing my parents told me, like, when I was, like, you know, I want to pursue radio and, like, I want to go to the U of M for media communications, they were just like, sure about that? I'm not going to make a lot of money. Right. And I was kind of aware of that path onwards, but I figured, like, you know, if I just did good work and if I did ethical work and if I did work that kind of, like, allowed me to show my insight and at the same time show why I'm so knowledgeable on that side of the spectrum and why I deserve to be doing this, then, you know, surely people will catch on and just be like, yo, this is dope. So you mentioned that... You kind of have kept your identity 
in your personal life and your music life separate do you think that's intentional like from the coming at it from the music side do you think that's intentional a little bit what was cool about the music side of it is like when i first started djing when i was 18 like i, I always went by dj egypto that was like i was like you know i'm just gonna go with dj egypto it's it's cool it has flair it's yeah it's a country i represent and it works and then when I did like my first gig at the Triple Rock, I was like, I was really obsessed with people like the Invisible Scratch Pixels, like DJ Cubert, DJ Mixmaster Mike, stuff like that, like real trick DJing, like trying to flex the crossfader back and forth and stuff like that. So I was like, well, I don't really have a stunt that would like wow the crowd like that. So like my, the liter literally, this is just me brainstorming. Like after eight hours of practicing, I'm just like, you know what? What if I just put my bare knuckle on the record? just like rotated my wrist while rotating the crossfader like it would work like it would make it sound like i'm scratching really fast <laughs> except nobody would know that i'm not scratching really fast so i did that i tried to carry it out and then someone just out of nowhere after i stopped playing the record they were just like egypto knuckles and ran off and it stuck <laughs> That was it. That's literally the story of the name. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as far as like the identity stuff, I try to keep it separate because like it seems like one side isn't really infatuated with the other side, mm. especially after I graduated college and more so the more people that come up to me and be like, you know, well, I wanted to do radio because of you or like, mm. yo, I, I went and volunteered at Radio K because of you and stuff like that. Like running into those people, it's like, whoa. You know, I didn't expect it at, at that time because like it was just like it just seemed like, you know, that mindset was so stuck in people's ways that it just didn't seem like something fathomable. Mm. Like I was like, well, if I'm going to be the lone soldier, I'm going to be the lone soldier. I'm a toot along with it and I'm going to make it work. Mm. And that's literally all I did for the past 15 years is just like try to make a voice for myself. And yeah. You know, I'm honored to say that in the 15 years that I've done it, you know, I feel like my voice is approaching. It's not there yet, you know, and it's not something that's like of monetary value to where I could like quit my full time job. But at the same time, I think it's a good balance. And yeah. it, it's really interesting how my two careers kind of like intersect yeah. more so than my two identities, because I find that like me working a full time job, especially like builds a lot of structure in what I do with music. And then in turn, music gives me the power to kind of like think outside the box at my regular job, like to be like, why are we doing it this way? Like, why don't we just do it like this? Like, you know, or what, why does this department get to do it this way? And this department has to do it this way. Like, you know, what's up with that? Yeah. You know, that type of thing, like where it gets me to speak up in normal situations that I normally wouldn't speak up on or like where workplace people be like, shut up, we're trying to get out of here. <laughs> you know, that's how it always works, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about your writing, do you think about your voice and your personality coming across in that way? And how have you shaped that over the years? I think what anyone will tell you about me is like the first time that you meet me or at least like after knowing me for like several meetings or whatever is that I tend to know a little bit about everything. I may not know everything about everything, but I at least know a little bit. And if yeah. I don't, I'm not afraid to ask and you know, I'm okay with asking, yo, what's that? Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Do you like give me some literature on that? Do you happen to have like where you found that? Like send, text me that link. I want to, I want to see it. I want to read it. 
you know so like i think that that also helps shape my worldview as well mm. you know is like knowing those different pieces of information and trying to really let it sink in and like like really trying to form my own voice yeah from that fact a lot of people after what happened in san bernardino and that whole situation there have been a lot of friends who have asked me about like what islam is and while i don't necessarily have an entire answer for that because like a lot of people are like well you're muslim right i'm like yeah but you know when i say i'm muslim i i tend to say that i'm muslim more so for my own intrinsic way of thinking mm. right i use that as a tool to be a moral compass to be nice to others i use that as a tool to you know do unto others as i would have unto me you know what i'm saying or to you know at least like try to educate people or to try to help people who really can't find that help themselves you know yeah and it's not about like preaching my religion or being like you know this is the right way you're doing it wrong <laughs> like i'm not some 90 year old granny that's going to shout that at you nor am i donald trump you know trying to like transfix you with just like barrage of insult after insult right right when i say that i'm a muslim like for me it's for my own moral compass and just to like that's what that's a large reason of why i don't drink and do do drugs you know for me it's just for my own intrinsic meaning like if people want to know more about it i'll do my best to like at least give them answers on it and stuff like that but i I mean, I usually tell them the same thing every time. They're like, well, what is what does the holy book say about, you know, this type of terrorist attack or, mm. you know, like violence in any situation is wrong. Any religion could tell you that, you know, and especially seeing like a couple of friends of mine who do wear hijab who have recently been vilified against mm. for no apparent reason other than just wearing that. Yeah. Saddens me. It saddens me a great deal, especially when you don't know nothing about them. Right. You know, I almost had a friend get run off the road. Oh, no. And that was just because she she was wearing the hijab. Another person I know was at a restaurant. They were waiting to be seated. And, you know, this white woman was making, like, real rude comments about, like, their head coverings and stuff like that. You know, the restaurant kept on seeing this behavior, but in turn, then sat them at the table right next to their aggressors and they just kept on staring them down oh, and no. like that's not a good situation to be in yeah i think like what's scary about religion and especially is especially when it's interjected into politics that worries me a great deal yeah i mean especially the way that everybody's trying to make the status about being a devout catholic like where has this come out in your candidacy like i don't see it like you're just sitting here insulting the other guy's policies like like, have you really taken the time out to learn about where those policies come from and, right. like, why they may have that point of view? You know, have you ever thought that maybe your own so sources may be wrong? Like, d done some research based on that? Yeah. You know, just a little bit? You know? Yeah. It's, it's just weird to see that, you know? So, like, as far as, as far as I'm concerned with my religion, like, my religion is for me. If people want to know more about it, I'm more than happy to try to find the answer for them. Or at least educate towards, you know, being about, like, nonviolence. Like, I'm never about violence in any situation. Even if some fool comes up and cracks me in the jaw today, I'm not about hitting that person back. I'm right. going to forgive and forget, and we're good. And that's it. Yeah. I'm curious, as you've navigated around the music scene in different ways, mm -hmm. um, as media and as a person that's performed, is that something that people feel comfortable discussing i mean you said some people ask you about it but is that 
do people explicitly discuss religion and differences in that way it really depends upon the person like there are some people who just are like cool with me because i'm egypto yeah like like they know me as a guy who's really into music and that's about it like you know if they want to ask further and deeper questions about that identity like i'm more than happy to give them an answer to it i leave that door open right it's not like something that i close the door on where it's like oh this is my music life and this is me and you can't come into either one right like it's not it's not a healthy thing to do and especially you know that just inhibits you you right. know what i'm saying at the end of the day, I feel like if you're not comfortable asking those questions with me or getting into that conversation with me, then what kind of conversation are you comfortable about getting in? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But like I've had a lot of friends, you know, especially like my good friend R.P. Hooks, you know, from Tribe and Big Cats mm-hmm. fame and like who have asked me questions about like, like, yo, you, you know, you're of this faith. Like what? what does it say about this? And like, why do these people say, interpret it like this? And why do these people interpret it like this? And we sit, we just have a conversation about it. It's like really not about like anything super major or something that's like, Oh my God, it's the end of the world. They figured out world peace. (laughs) You know, me and brother Ali, we don't even talk about it as much. Really? You know, he's so vocal about it. And that's what I like about him is because like probably my views espouse his in a lot of ways. Mm. Like, and that's what I like about Ali is he's so articulate, especially like in discussions of faith, something where I'm not completely well versed in. Yeah. But I at least know the bare bones basics. You know what I'm saying? So he, he knows way more than I have. And he converted at 15. Right. You know, whereas I was born into it. Like, I think he put out a tweet that I retweeted immediately after he put it out is like the most important thing to know about Muslims is they're people. That's mm. it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And it's the same thing that I would say if like someone said the most important thing to know about Christians is that they're people. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. It was I really nice getting to know you. No, it's really awesome to know you. I'm honored to know you as well. Look. Yeah. Metropolis, the all seeing now steady watching us. Traffic lights on every corner, got cameras and monitors. The city takes no novices, so you better be street savvy. Never fall asleep, the snakes creep gradually. That is Ali Elabadi, this week's guest on The OK Show. Thank you to Ali for stopping by, and thank you as well for sharing so much great music. You heard uh, several different beats that Ali made. He sent over a bunch of music for me to check out and to use in today's episode, so I really appreciate him allowing us to use that today. You can find all of the OK shows archived over at thecurrent.org as well as on iTunes. I'm your host, Andrea Swenson. Thank you once again for tuning in. We're going to take a little break in February to kind of reboot the show and get ready for a new season, book some new guests. But I'm very excited for next week's show, episode number 15. It's going to feature the hip-hop artist, singer, photographer, yogi, and just all-around awesome person, Sarah White. So come back for that next Wednesday when we put out a new episode of The OK Show. Until next time, it's going to be OK. Take their minds away from living in this rough maze Knuckleheads busting dum-dums while others duck strays Trying to act tough and say they made it on the front page But that's the routine, this fast life will never lose steam Drama fills streets and fluent scripts on the movie screen Discretion